Well, the power just went out about five minutes ago, so I guess for the first time in a while, you've got my undivided attention. Doing the modifications and uh, coming up with the retro posters. I've got six out of seven done. Um, the only one that I'm working on still is the Kristana Loken one. So I've got a something about Mary. She's I found a, a pretty good nude of um, Cameron Diaz <clears throat> that I ended up putting on the uh, cover. So I replaced the traditional cover of Cameron Diaz, looking all cheerful with a different cover that uh, is similar in feel and attitude and personality and uh, put that in the same poster uh, in a general sense with the exception of it has a different uh, different cam and Diaz and a different pose and everything and let's see so the seven movie posters are um, Star Trek which is going to be unaltered it's the 1979-80 version whatever that one was the first one the motion picture um, the second one is, um, well, of course, there's going to be Deep Throat and also Behind the Green Door. Um, so that's three. Fourth one's going to be Something About Mary. And I uh, already redid that poster. Um, fifth one is Weird Science, which I just ended up having a... a uh, a topless um, Kelly LeBrock appearing on the cover instead of the uh, the the one that actually has the top to it and actually I'm kind of proud of myself of myself on that one ended up finding a woman with boobs that looked pretty similar and to uh, Kelly LeBrock's and just uh, cloned them and copied them and altered them resized and reshaped them and did it and, and smudged them and softened them until it actually looked like it blended in pretty well and that cover ended up coming out uh, pretty decently, if I must say so myself. Um, and so that's Behind the Green Door, Deep Throat, Star Trek, Something About Mary, Weird Science, um, oh, Terminator 2. Um, I couldn't find the last action hero had Sylvester Stallone in it. I was trying to find an original copy of that somewhere and uh, for artwork and um, I couldn't but then I, I had the idea what if this alternate reality had a Sylvester Stallone that, or an Arnold Schwarzenegger that, Schwarzenegger that looked like Sylvester Stallone so I just ended up uh, taking the same movie poster um, but I ended up, uh, that uh, was in Terminator 2, um, high definition, res high resolution one, and I ended up uh, finding a pretty good image of a youthful um, Sylvester Stallone, and I, again, I ended up superimposing that in the image. Now, it's not perfect, but, you know, it's, in the game, it's going to appear as a low, lower resolution image anyways, so... It'll it'll appear good enough that you can't actually see the uh, distinctions with it in there. So, <clears throat> you know, basically the blurred lines and everything you might see with digital artifacts and everything at the lower resolution. So that'll be cool. So right now, I'm working on Kristana Loken one. And this one's a little bit harder than anticipated. 
So the problem is I was I was at this point basically, you know, rethinking. And the whole timeline is Arnold this is in it's the first movie in this reality that features an A-list actor in in hardcore sexual scenes with the actresses. And so basically the Terminators um, make love rather than war. You know, so in a literal sense, this is actually what happens in this alternate reality. And uh, as a result, um, they end up, uh, you know, more or less, it's it's not a porn. You know, porn's cheesy because it basically goes from scene to scene. And, you know, it's basically nothing more than sex scenes interspersed with uh, just a little bit of dialogue, but then interspersed with more sex scenes. Well, you know, I want this to be a part to go with the flow. You know, that's what I'm imagining and envisioning for this alternate reality version of Terminator 3, and it's it would be a James Cameron production, in my opinion. In my reality, I think uh, Terminator 3 just went south. You know, it, um, they did okay with it, you know, but it wasn't nearly what the first two movies were, you know, so in this reality, the third one is equally as good as the first two, um, but it, it takes a hard right turn and takes the whole storyline and introduces hardcore sex into it in a way that basically blows people's minds. You know, they, <clears throat> they're not ready for it. You know, and that's actually what causes uh, a whole rift in time again, you know, which basically ends up in 9-11. Uh, in so, it's um, what it's going to be and how it's going to look, I can't even imagine. You know, I look forward to a production like this and seeing how inventive they can get, you know, in this alternate reality where I, I look forward to going to see this movie, you know. That's, that's how I imagine it. I look forward to seeing this movie and seeing a movie that is on par as entertaining as one and two is, introducing the sexual element in a way that's never been done before, um, and it makes it a, a equally as good as one and two Terminator, and equally as memorable. <laughs> what it means? I don't know. I have no clue. So, anyways, um, trying to come up with a movie poster for this, though, is proving to be a little bit challenging, just because the feel of the movie posters that they came out with, with 1 and 2, were remarkably different than 3. You know, you can tell that it changed hands, that it became a different production with 3. So that's actually what I'm trying to figure out, is how? How, how can I actually create this change, you know, in a movie poster? And what other posters are out there? Um, or how can I take a similar movie poster, or how can I create a brand new one? You know, all these thoughts are going through my head, but one of the big things I want is there to be very little guessing that Christana Loken is naked for almost the whole production. You know, that uh, basically she doesn't just arrive naked, you know, but she doesn't, she doesn't even put on any clothes. You know, and this is part of the storyline. What the story is going to be, I don't know. I hear police sirens outside. Yeah, the uh, lights, they flickered for a bit prior to uh, blowing out. So I think either a tree hit something or hopefully there's no fire out there because it's really windy. 
Yeah, lights are definitely out for the entire entire area. Ah, shit. That hurt. That's one time I've slipped on this floor and twice tonight I've or once I've slipped and fallen just now. And twice I've uh slipped tonight. I'm waiting to hear if my parents are gonna get up. So anyways, um with that said, you know, I just, what I'm trying to do is think out a, an overarching storyline, um, between several different realities at this point. So, here's a, uh, and I'm kind of like tying it back into my own life, too. <coughs> so, I just watched this morning, um, Doctor Who. And Doctor Who's uh, New Year special. Now, in Doctor Who, they end up mentioning, talking about um, basically a warrior back in the early times, and they they didn't make any direct date references, but it could be assumed it's anywhere between you know fit prior to the year fifteen hundred. That's, you know, that's what, what is to be assumed. It can, it's probably much earlier than that, but I don't think they actually gave a direct date reference. And this is actually the genesis of the Daleks here on planet Earth. Well, so what I've got is, I've got an overarching storyline um, for planet Earth. And that overarching storyline... Um, basically consists of our start from the Big Bang um, all the way, you know, to the point that what happened? You know, basically everything is true, false, one, zeros, you know, um, yes, no. You know, it's... Yeah, my... I hear my dad back there, there, talking about the power being out. Hold on a second. Dun, dun, dun. It's no big deal because most everybody's sleeping. In my computers, I could have kept working for another couple hours, but uh, I don't like working in the dark. So I saved my work and turned them off and unplugged them. Don't want to get a power surge. <clears throat> so, anyways, um, if if you draw history back all the way to the Big Bang, and the Big Bang being some enigmatic event, to me, um, I consider it the beginning of my life here on this planet. Um, I remember that date, um, 1973, 
Now, technically, I was born in 1969, but when I arrived, at least my mind, when I arrived, <clears throat> it was 1973, and it kind of started off with a crash. You know, I ended up walking out and seeing my parents having sex and not knowing how to handle it. Um, I went crying back to my room and just really kind of, you know, um, mom came came in and said, what's wrong, honey, you know, and I'm like, well, I didn't know or didn't know how to react. I knew what they were doing. That was a weird thing. I was only three years old, and I don't know why it had upset me so much. But uh, all I know is I was back in my room and I was crying, and it was thunder and lightning outside. It was just basically a really crazy event that was going on. It was a pretty bad storm that hit that night, too. But that, to me, is the Big Bang. The moment that I, at least to my awareness, arrived in this planet, on this world. Now, at that moment in time, a history was created for me. Um, whether or not it was by my mind or my mind working in conjunction with this planet, um, that history was created to basically create a birth date of um, November 1st, 1969, to draw it back and everything, um, to create a, a adoption record to basically, you know, tie me to my parents and everything, and more or less teach me about the, the planet, and also give me a home and everything, um, and then, you know, to also give me a history, you know, to give me a, at least enough of a history to let me grow roots in this, in this planet, in, in this place in space and time, <laughs> and it's my belief that that's, that's what the Big Bang was to me. It wasn't some enigmatic event that happened 13.8 billion years ago, but it also ties directly to it, you know, because the birth of me is also the birth of my timeline and the birth of this planet's timeline, you know, um, this universe's timeline, everything's timeline, you know, so at the same point that I was born, at that point, the roots were starting to dig in, you know, were starting to grow, and those roots in time were creating my timeline in the past. Well, as time moved on, as I started making choices in life, and as I started, you know, developing experiences and experiencing the world and going through this interpretation process and this process of feed a feedback loop where basically I would take in new information, the world would unfold more for me based on the choices that I made, and it would keep on growing. More came about because of of my, the way I sense the world, the way I experience the world, the way I interpreted the world, um, that kept growing this world, and it got to the point where that started creating seeds for other events in space and time, you know, seeds such as, um, one of the first ones was Nixon, he was basically... The library was named after him. That was over at Yorba Linda. Well, who the fuck is Nixon? 
Well, I came to find out later that he's, you know, a president that was impeached and was a pretty important president and everything, too. And then I found out about other presidents, and then I find, found out about, you know, little things like um, geography. As my world slowly expanded from Yorba Linda to the outlying cities, Placentia, Fullerton, um, Brea, um, and then to Cyprus and to Redondo Beach and all this stuff, um, my awareness of people started growing, you know, as I was introduced to different ethnicities, whether or not it was Mexicans, I would work with my father or my grandfather um, at his construction, he owned a construction business, or it was um, other things. Each one of these created an imagination feedback loop. And I would ask questions, okay, why do you look so different? And I'd see that my mind invented the whole concept that they lived in, in a different country, in a different place, and they were here from this different place. What is that place? And at that point, that provoked my imagination. They live in a place called, they're Mexican, so they live in a place called Mexico. Well, boom, that creates, that inspires, that injects in my imagination to basically grow the concept. Shit. Dropping shit all over the place. That's a problem with the lack of lights. Where are the cords? Where are my feet? <sighs> Just kidding on the feet part, kinda. So, in any case, you know, um, I'd meet somebody from Japan. My mom and dad got exchange students, you know, from Japan and everything for, for their church. Well, they ended up staying with us and they introduced the concept of origami. And as new people, new concepts, new faces that were profoundly different than my own, at least for me as a small child and everything, my mind would, at this point, basically come up with ideas, experiences. It would try to create an idea of where they came from, where they lived, what did their place look like? What could that possibly develop a person like this one I see in front of me? What could possibly make it so where they had that specific height that was much shorter, you know, for the Mexicans than most everybody else I knew? You know, and uh, as I went on and experienced the world, my world grew around me. You know, and that, that in itself got me to start asking other questions, such as, where does this world come from? And once that started happening, all of a sudden, boom, the sciences start growing. Biology. As I investigate the origin of me, the origin of this planet, what's an atom? I hear a concept called an atom. Boom, I start investigating that, and all of a sudden, this whole branch of science opens up called chemistry. As I grow curious about the world around me, it starts expanding. Now, I had evidence of this my entire life, you know, but I dismissed that evidence from the very start. You know, and I, there's another perspective that you can take on this, too. When you're exposed to very little in the world around you, and, and that exposure grows as you experience more, you come to believe that it was always there. 
you know, that your insertion in this planet, you know, is not unique. You know, at least that's what I thought for myself. That your being in a certain place in a certain time and everything, you look around, there's literally hundreds of thousands of millions of others that look a lot like you. That sound a lot like you. That talk the same language as you. You have a hard time. A hard time not coming to the conclusion that you're not special. That you're not unique. That there's, that you're just like everybody else. So you try to rise above it. I mean, this is actually what I did. I tried rising above it my entire life. I looked at myself and I looked at everybody else around me and there was always, always somebody that was smarter. There was always somebody that was more athletic. You know, I mean, hell, I was a runt most of my life and everything and I regularly tried to avoid getting my ass kicked and almost, you know, 95% of the time was successful with that. And the 5% of the time that I actually wasn't successful, it hurt. <laughs> I tried hard to open up businesses several times and each time it just didn't seem to work i got ideas for new you know for new businesses for new ways of doing things and everything you know and as i investigated new ways to try to accumulate money to try to be bill gates wealthy to try to be you know or not even that you know to try to just be wealthy period you know to basically live live a life that i don't know you know, that I saw on TV a lot, because I used to watch, like, what was it, uh, Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous with Robin Leach, you know, and he'd go around and he'd detail these multi-million dollar yachts and, you know, people that flew around the world and owned multinational businesses, and they had these wonderful planes and houses that were amazing. Mansions, not just mansions, but houses that... <laughs> I don't know, that some people built by their own hands, some people that were contracted, you know, architected and everything, they did these things to these houses that was just absolutely amazing. You know, they, some of the, the things that I saw on that TV show, it was one of the few TV shows that I watched that was reality-based, you know, back then that I was always impressed by. Even Cribs, when that came on, I watched a few of those too, and saw Tommy Lee's shower, you know, where he'd watch the women, you know, that he'd bed, you know, take a shower in this massive shower and everything. You know, some of the closets where people had automated and done things to them so they can actually have selected clothes and drawers that would pull out automatically or secret doors that would open up and do all these things and everything. The automation in some of these places was amazing back then, back in the 80s, you know, so for me it's just like I imagined, you know, from a young age, just basically working, and that's what I wanted to achieve, was not just success, but being able to have a house with secret rooms, a house with gimmicks in it, cool technology, cool ideas, maybe, maybe things that nobody else did, and I can, I can appreciate myself and everything, I might invite people over to check it out every once in a while, but for the most part, 
I wanted a house I could appreciate. You know, and I thought about that a lot afterwards, too. As my world expanded, as I worked my ass off, I, I opened up and I became a consultant by the time I was 23, 24. And um, at that point, I was making some decent money, you know, relatively speaking. The average wage, according to statistics I had read, was $35,000 a year. And for some reason, even though I was making 35000 or $35 an hour, which is equivalent to about 70000 a year, I, I couldn't afford half the lifestyle that uh, the people that were making half of what I was making didn't understand why. I felt like the system was rigged. So, I kept working, and I kept dreaming. I kept hoping that the money that I would make, you know, I'd be able to pay for, you know, somebody to architect my house. <laughs> to be able to actually have a, a small little creek, a man-made river, an artificial river run through it. A little bit of a... I remember going to a, um, a place up in Denver, a restaurant, and they had a big, huge, massive waterfall on the inside. And they actually had cliff divers on the inside of this building. And I thought, how cool would it be to have a pool inside my own house? And have cliff divers inside my own house. Now, after seeing so many different things like this, I thought... How cool would it be to have my own staff on board a yacht that went around the world? I didn't just expand my world, you know, through the experiences and through the inquisitions. I expanded through the ideas that TV and movies gave me about different ideas for technology and, and um, everything, really. It wasn't just restricted to technology. And his autos. I mean, getting a Ferrari and then taking it over to, you know, buying it from directly from Italy and going for the test drive on their test track and everything. Or, I don't know, buying a small jet, hiring a pilot, Getting some of my hours as a co-pilot, even though I'd still hire a pilot. Just being able to fly co-pilot and everything, just so, just to make sure he had backup and made sure I knew what I was doing. I mean, for that Ferrari, chances are I'd get back and I'd probably have a limo driver anyways. Or somebody driving a big, huge Cadillac SUV modified by my friend Mike Fies. You know, but that's actually what I just kept imagining back then. You know, I'd known that the world was big. I didn't know my geography that well. I'd been to Mexico probably by the time I was in my late 20s. At least two dozen times. So I knew about Mexico. And I knew enough about geography abroad and everything that... At that point, I was still becoming experienced with it. But that's the whole thing. That's what the Big Bang for me was. Yeah, I didn't realize, I didn't know, that I was actually in a literal, literal process creating my world. Now, some might call that egocentricity, narcissism. But, you're entitled to that. Collectively, 
doesn't make sense. It's even scary sometimes. Because as an individual, it's the fullest of embracing who you are as an individual. Life is that choose-your-own-adventure, and the world that you create is a direct result of the choices that you make. For me, I've chosen to keep the violence out of my life. Sure, I may play, play violent video games. And sure, I may watch some violent TV shows, but I try to avoid the violent TV shows for the most part. But the games? Yeah, I do it every once in a while. But it's not what I want in my life. I do it because there's a story there. And because there's other concepts within the game that actually make that whole idea intriguing and everything. But as I started investigating the world, the origin story to this world unfolded. The origin story to the geography and how it was formed, the continents and how they were formed, the origin story to this planet and this universe slowly but surely came together 13.8 billion years ago. The lines were drawn that created the beginning of my universe. That's not really when the Big Bang started. That's just when the story of the time started. And that's the interesting thing about what the Big Bang is. The Big Bang is a non-localized event. It's an event. It's a concept. It's an idea. It's, a, it's an origin point of space and time in space and time, and it doesn't mean it's at the beginning. And this is one of the hardest concepts I had throughout my life trying to understand. You know, if you try to trace down the origin of something, and you keep on going back, and you start asking questions like, hey, what came before my mom and dad? Well, their mom and dad. You know, hey, what came before their mom and dad? Well, and you keep on following that back and back and back and back. Well, what came before, you know, and then you got Western religion, before Adam and Eve. Well, God came before that. Well, what came before God? Well, if you try to trace this down in a chronological sense, what you're going to do is end up with a loop. And that loop points right back at the person that's asking the questions. And that's what I learned. This is a hard thing to swallow. And I'm going to be honest with you. I can't recommend to anybody to do it. I learned about this all the hard way. And you have at your disposal a mind and the capability to be able to erase and censor thoughts and ideas. My advice is, do it as long as possible. Sometimes it's nice not knowing. I'm not saying ignorance is bliss, that's kind of... I got to the point where I pushed it too far. 
trying to commit suicide. That's trying to push it too far. I didn't know who I was, what I was. I didn't know how this world came to being. I didn't know my place in it. And the fact of the matter is, I don't like the concept of God pointing fingers straight back at me. That's why I call myself Q. Oh, I'll say I am on occasion. <clears throat> and while I know it's real, all I can say is it is what it is. So, what I'm doing at this point right now I was basically trying to understand and build a story based on the nonlinear temporal influences in my reality. Now, we've got several different universes that are starting to seep over into mine that I've actually managed to push out. Back in 2011, 2000, actually about through 2009 through 2011, there was kind of a convergence. <coughs> now, you collectively might refer to what I experienced as a hallucination just because what I experienced wasn't something you yourself saw or could experience yourself because it was through my eyes and I as an, as an individual is what experienced it. So it, it's something I just simply can't share other than describing. Now I myself, I've come to regard this experience as basically an experience that I had. You know, um your labels for him as a collective society and everything, you know, um, don't necessarily negate what I experienced. It's just basically a way for you to to continue referring to it as, um, you know, fiction. Something that you don't have to accept until there's a point that you start understanding that what I experienced was perfectly real from my own perspective. You know, it doesn't make the experience wrong, it doesn't make it inaccurate, it just basically makes it an experience I had for reasons that are meaningful to me and everything. So, a couple things that I haven't mentioned before about these experience, experiences and everything was, um, I bought a, um, a Lexus online, uh, RX 450 Hybrid, back in, what was it, 2000, I think it was 2008. Might have been 2007. And uh, I had bought it from Louisiana uh, right after, or not long after, Hurricane Katrina went through. And uh, apparently it had gone and it had not been hit by Hurricane Katrina or anything like that. Well, as I was coming back, um, I got the weirdest feeling. I'd driven through Texas numerous times before, but I got the weirdest feeling about, uh, about it. And I remember looking up several times out there in the middle of nowhere and saying to myself Galactus is out here I feel him I know he's out here and at this point this is back in 2007 2008 before I was really you know starting to question my own imagination and everything and um, I had driven through there one other time after that and uh, I just I had the same feeling as I drove through this landscape, I saw things were 
you know, they had, everything was big in Texas, you know, and there was a reason for it, because something is happening out here that is just beyond my capability to view. So, and, uh, so for me, at this point, I accept that he was out there, that he was trying to suck Planeter dry, and parts of, you know, Fantastic Four, The Silver Surfer, um, detailed what happened to, to, get, to get him out of here in my reality. Um, but that doesn't mean he was out in all realities. You know, so basically, the being does exist. You know, he's, in himself, he's a, he's a being of energy. But he has the capability to be able to suck entire planets dry of energy. And there's a reason for this. You know, so it just comes down to understanding how all the comic books, Star Trek, Terminators, um, Doctor Who, all the way to the X-Men, um, Fantastic Four, how they all tie together. And uh, here's how they tie together. Um, so Doctor Who, going back to that, featured a, an episode where there was a being that was 1,500 plus years ago. Um, was basically barely defeated just because it was the master of war and everybody had considered it impossible to beat this being and uh, they barely did in somewhere before the 15th century and when they did they ended up taking this being splitting its parts into three separate sides of the planet, and at that point, basically making it so where it would be impossible for it to reform itself. So they had some idea that this being, if it could be reconstituted, it, it was much like a vampire where it couldn't die. Well, what I learned, or the, the history that I'm starting to understand is, um, in World War II, one in World War II, uh, the Terminators were actually created. This was the first version of World War II that happened, and this is among the reasons Hitler was so efficient and effective with what he did. He basically had created Terminators, and that's how he was taking over the world and doing it so quickly. Think about it. A small country like Germany, how did they have that kind of power and influence with only 80 million people? So the history that has been hidden from you and I has been he leveraged an army of robots and he was technologically far more advanced you know, than history has actually written. So, in any case, this happens back in World War II. Um, back in World War I, though, the Daleks had already been here for a long time, and they had also been working both sides. They were just simply trying to create a war, you know, to begin with, and make this war escalate so where it was going across the planet. They tried starting the spark in World War I, didn't work, um, and that's when they ended up working with Germany in World War II to try to actually create the Terminators, and at that point accelerate the process and create a bigger, a big, bigger war, which almost succeeded in enveloping the planet until America became involved. And at that point, that ended up stopping that war pretty quickly. So, 
This happened all because, well, it's about the 29th century. Um, the Borg. So I'm going to back up a little step. In Terminator 1, we see that uh, there's a Terminator sit back in time to 1984 to kill one woman, and that's unsuccessful. You know, in Terminator 2, we see that a Terminator is again sent back in time. This Terminator has been reprogrammed and is now quote-unquote good, and he's trying to prevent the killing by a bad Terminator. That, that also proves successful in the defense of this woman and everything. In the third Terminator, Terminator ends up being sent back to actually, um, more or less, preserve the start of the war. Isn't that interesting? And this is actually the deviation between these two realities and everything. So that start of the war, though, also involves the contention of two different opposing factions. One wants John Connor to live, the other one wants John Connor to die. But both of them are interested in making sure that the war begins. Isn't that interesting? So, that happens. Now in Terminator 4, aka um, Salvation, in Salvation, at this point, they have genetically resurrected through DNA a man and, and actually created, um, assimilated, partially assimilated his, his DNA into the form of a robot. So he doesn't know that he's part man, part machine. And this is actually the, around the whole story. And as he discovers this, he rebels against it. And that thus ends the movie and everything. So this rebellion continues with Genesis, where at this point they end up, they have a separate timeline. They have just split 1984 right down the middle. And now they have two separate versions of 1984. And then, here's the, here's the kicker. They have a new version of John Connor. And this version of John Connor has all his memories assimilated. He is now working in the faction of Skynet. So he's actually the leader of the anti-resistance. He's, he's trying to actually stop the humans. So, here's where it gets interesting. Terminators have learned to assimilate. Terminators have learned to alter memories. They've also learned how to reprogram humans in much the same way that they can be reprogrammed themselves. So extend this timeline out to the 24th century. All the way to the 29th century. In the 29th century, you have the creation, the start of something called the Temporal Cold War. Now the Temporal Cold War primarily involves a couple factions. One's the Suliban faction, the other one's the humans, and the other one's basically everything robotic. You know, there's some other things that are in there, too. You know, um, basically a whole bunch of other species that are in involved um, in different ways, which never really unfolds that well, with the exception of the Time Lords. Um, and also you have some other major factions, like the Daleks, like the Borg, um, and also like the Cylons, too. Now, 
if you take this to the 29th century, you at this point the Borg have interacted and directly tried actually stopping um, humans and tried assimilating humans all the way back up to the late 20th century, or 21st century, 2063. So they've been in the process of sending things back in time to 2063 on a repetitive basis. Now, Q, as depicted in Star Trek, is... I don't... here's the thing. I don't know if he's a real Q, or if he's actually a genetically engineered version of Q created by the Borg to basically get the point that he's he's trying to get across to somebody like me. Now Q mentions to Picard the creation of the pool, the genetic pool where two cells are, you know, decide to come together for the first time, thus creating the belief system that humans evolved from a genetic pool, and that genetic pool resulted in a tadpole coming out of the water and resulted in the long-term evolution of a human down one single linear path. Now, it's my belief that the Borg were actually trying to staple humans down to one single linear path in order to basically not just assimilate them, but to eradicate them altogether. To some degree, that's why we're called the human race. It's my belief they were actually trying, they called us a race condition in this thing called a matrix, and they were trying to eliminate that race con condition by basically creating an origin point for this thing called the human race to basically find the mind and basically kill the mind of, of you know, the humans and everything. Well, this is, it's kind of like um, a dog chasing its tail. You know, the origin point of view, you know, comes from the origin... I, I mean, I'm just not going to go there. But here's the thing. The Cylons are an offshoot. They're a deviant branch. And they themselves have escaped to an external planet and everything and are actively working on other planets and creating human colonies themselves. And they actually let those colonies grow to seven different planets until they end up fearing their creation. At that point, they ended up striking back at their creation because they're advancing too fast technologically. And this is actually what my belief of what this war of robots versus humans is. Robots like working in a binary fashion um, with technology that's actually paced at a certain pace that they actually can control the growth of. And when that growth becomes uncontrolled too fast for them, at that point, that's when it causes problems, and at this point causes a reaction. That reaction is to basically stop, to literally fight, conquer that growth. Now, now you see that in, in, um, in real-world analogies, like cancer, for instance. Cancer happens so fast and everything. You know, it's uncontrolled growth. And when that uncontrolled growth happens too fast, it can kill the life form that it's within. So this real-world analogy extends to higher and higher levels of existence. You know, and to this point, just basically, if you're to look at and turn the lens outwards, 
and uh, look at and regard the Earth as a single-celled organism that all of a sudden, you know, decides to go to the stars in a way that's deemed too fast in an uncontrolled and un fashion that uh, those that may be managing this planet, those that are more binary-oriented and everything, you know, true-false, and they may have their own collective algorithms, you know, that uh, dictate and, and pace the development of us as a society and everything. Well, the net reaction is retaliate, retaliation with, through simple, you know, through simply trying, you know, stopping us. And it's, it's my belief that's among the reasons I was ostracized from society altogether is because this growth, for me, was intellectually based. And when they can't manage something intellectually, well, at that point it causes a problem. And rather than try to work with the problem, work to understand it, work to get along, they fight it, they work to conquer it, and if they can't conquer it, they work to eradicate. <sighs> That's why the Cylons did what they did. And that's why the Borg have sought to take over humanity through time. And that's why the Daleks have repeatedly tried to stop the Doctor. There's a better way, though. That's the way I look at it. Symbiotic, symbiotic relationship. hard, though. I'll be the first to admit. Because I didn't know that's what a wife was. But I don't think those that were presenting that wife understood there was a opposing views in different factions and different variations in time. That were resulting in completely different mindsets and different worldviews. And that things like Galactus were absolutely real. So going back to um, about 2011, I was taking a tour and looking at the world and the temporal variations that were occurring the state of flux that my world was starting to begin in. And um, went to a subway, and I saw some girl that she moved in a fashion I'd never seen a human move before. She slinked, just like a cat, reminded me of a Terminator. Now, as, uh, every hotel that I was going to, I was trying to find a hotel that I can just rest, rest my head. <clears throat> I felt like somebody was following me. 
And then finally at a hotel in Barstow, I ended up having having these cars that were circling around. And all I wanted to do was just go to sleep. And um, pretty much as soon as I got in my room, somebody entered the room down below me. And I knew at that moment, for some reason, that it was a girl by the name of Kitty Pride in the X-Men. Now, here's the thing about reality. When you imagine it, when you quit calling it an illusion, and you basically say, this thing is a construct of my own imagination, the choices I make, the experiences that I have, the beliefs the things that I come to want to need, the things that I come to don't want and don't need, I'll influence it. I'll push things further away or draw things closer. So the genetically altered beings, aka Dr. Xavier or Kitty Pride or Phoenix, they're all coming closer to me. In their own way. And Kitty Pride, I discovered, at that point, had psionic powers. Now, she, as I, what I discovered, she had the capability to be able to put up a shield around her, in much the same way that uh, Jean Grey was able to do. And, um, she had the innate ability to be able to walk through walls. And that's not how I saw her, though. She had the capability to be able to communicate through walls. And uh, what she was doing was laying in the bed directly beneath mine and trying to tamper with my mind. Now, what she was trying to do with my mind, I don't know. You know, I don't know if it was bad. I don't know if it was good. You know, it was one of those things that just... I was at a state in my mind that everything seemed scary at that moment. And, um, as she was doing that, I was going a little bit crazy, trying to avoid going crazy, you know, but I felt like I was going absolutely insane. So as she did this, as, uh, as she remotely was manipulating my mind, I learned some things in that communication with her. And I think that's the whole thing about why psionics is really dangerous with me, is because it establishes a two-way communication with me, and I get information from them just as, as quickly as they get information from me, if not more so. So I learned that it was Kitty Pride. I learned that she was an X-Men. I learned that she had psionic capabilities, and I learned she was trying to do something with me that I didn't know what it was. I also learned that... Um, she was the only one that could get close to me, of anybody that had a superpower. My body had had the capability to be able to push things away that threatened me at all. And um, my mind as well. But for some reason, she, uniquely, had the capability to be able to get close to me. Now I suspect my mind let her close, so I could understood, understand a little bit more, and I saw and perceived her as non-threat, and always have. And uh, part of that non-threat is understanding that uh, from a distance, you know, and even close, she would never intend me any harm. 
I saw her more, not just as a superhero, but as somebody that uh, had a heart from, from the start, and I wasn't wrong about that. But I scared the shit out of her. Because she didn't know, I knew that she was there. And after three different uh, places that we ended up going to, I ended up going and knocking on that door. And she was in her nightgown. She looked at me. And there was a part of her that was projecting an image. And I could see through, it was like a tear in reality, that she was scared. Shitless. Now I'm sorry, kidding, for scaring you. I'm still learning about me. But I appreciate your courage in coming to me and approaching me. In any case, she helped um, the Air Force. And uh, she did what she thought she needed to do by helping slip my mind out of my body and into what she considered to be a virtual reality uh, simulation of the world that I was in. And the purpose for the Air Force doing this, the Air Force was actually being kind of manipulated by foreign interests, kind of manipulated by Terminators and a long history of this whole Skynet thing and everything. <clears throat> Their interest was pushing me off this timeline, getting me away from this timeline. They believed that this was their reality collectively and that this that I didn't I didn't have a place in it. They didn't understand that this was my reality. And I created it. It's the difference between collective ownership. That's the interesting thing about collective ownership versus individual. <laughs> collective ownership believes it's theirs. Isn't that interesting? That's what you get when you go to China. Everything becomes collective property, right? So, in any case, I fought against it, and won. Now, they won, too, from their perspective. They, they got what they believed was what they needed. And what I saw in the news for several years afterwards was the X-37B, a secret space program with overflights of the United States and world, 220 days in orbit for a program that has not been discussed publicly at all. Well, what they've got is they've got my body. Well, at least kind of like a, a copy of my body. Can't really call it my body anymore. They slipped me out of a copy of a, kind of like a discrete digital copy of my body at that time in, in space and time. And that is what they ended up taking putting into the X-37, and at that point they put it into orbit, hoping that the dilation in between, based on Einstein physics and everything, with that being at altitude and this slight temporal deviance would actually cause my mind and body to, or my mind, to slip away from this reality and into another one. And that way they can get 
ownership of their own, what they considered their world back, their collective world back. Well, they've been doing this since 2010, and while it has been successful, um, from their perspective, they're not going to see it as such because they don't understand what it's doing to time and how my mind works with time and how theirs does too. I think that's the bigger problem is they don't understand collectively the way their mind influences time and how it manages time. So, in any case, Kitty Pride, um, thank you for appearing out there in Barstow. I'm sorry for scaring you, and I'd like to shake your hand one of these days. Hell, I'd like to ask you out on a date. You've always been fascinating to me, and, you know, knowing that you can etherealize and that kind of stuff is really kind of cool, and I'd like to learn how to do that. So, this is how I learn, is basically by watching, by working with people, by interacting with them. You know, um... I can learn any skill I want to, and it's not by touch or anything like that. So if you watch uh, what's his name on um, Siler on Heroes, my quote-unquote superpower is being able to translate something from my own body um, and devising ways that I can actually achieve the same or similar results, but not necessarily in the same fashion that they do. You know, it's like Superman. The one thing I always thought of, you know, that I always had a hard time with, was the shit that he went through in order to learn how to fly for the first time. <laughs> now, I don't doubt I'm going to learn how to fly one of these days. But I also know I'm going to have to build up some physical resilience and everything because I know it's not going to feel good. The first couple times I ended up plowing into the side of a hill or something like that because all of a sudden I lost faith. You know? I know that I can't die. But I also know that this shit can fucking hurt me. At least at least immediately. You know, until I build up a tolerance to it. Well, theorialization, I suspect, is going to be the same way. But it's a little bit easier. And levitation's kind of the same way. It's a little bit easier. I shouldn't say easier. But in any case, I am pretty sure, reasonably, that I found a... the robots, and the Cylons, and the Terminators, and the Borg, and all that stuff, that I've found a point, as they have too, an impasse. They're unfolding and showing me the way that they came about into existence and everything. The Cybermen, the Daleks, the Terminators, they're showing me their history, knowing that to some degree, that helps them preserve their own history. Now, they don't understand, I suspect, the differences, you know, between collective versus individual mechanisms and everything, which is okay. 
Now it's just the humans. The rest here. We gotta find a way to work together. To play. To have fun. To unfold this experience, you know, without it going to war. I don't think a whole lot of us want war. A changed world, absolutely. More technology? I think that's a given. Different technology. Abso-fucking-lutely. That's why I'm introducing the whole sexual thing. You know, with the, the game world I'm creating. I'm just trying to imagine things differently. I suggested one other thing, too. Conquest through sexuality. This is my universe. And I suspect that my universe may have the same origin point every time I started off. As far as the 13.8 billion years in the past. Altogether, 27.6 billion years for this universe altogether to exist. Some characters... ...present themselves as eternal to me from the start. A being that actually enjoys being called God. Enigmatic. I'm happy for that. Galactus. The Watchers. Plural. Some beings exist, not just outside of time and space. And when I say outside of time and space, I'm referring to this universe in this linear timeline. There's many, many, many different universes out there. Not all of them are bound to our methods of space and time. That's all I can think of off the top of my head, the primary ones. But, in any case, I'm going to finish up with that Cristiano uh, Loken poster by tomorrow, so hopefully while I'm sleeping, you provide me some inspiration. Anyways, have a good night. Oh, one last thing I forgot to mention is um, I can now receive donations through f PayPal at FlyerBry, F-L-Y, E-R-B-R-I at hotmail.com um, I haven't tried it yet so if you do send something send me an email or you know if you've got a way to get a, get a hold of me and everything um, but I do appreciate any help and assistance with everything I'm doing even if it seems like I'm doing nothing so once again it's flyerbry F-L-Y-E-R-B-R-I at hotmail.com H-O-T-M-A-I-L dot com. 
thank you in advance.